Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Before we get going with this episode of The Space Between Years, just want to thank our special friends that have just joined the show as well as everyone else here at Godzilla Media, our friends at Mohawk Honda. So every dealer, you know, they're looking for trade-ins right now. They're short on inventory and they just basically want to take your vehicle, give you money, send you on your way, and then, then what? Like, where does that leave you? Because... You know, not like they're going to turn around and sell you a vehicle because they're just trying to gain vehicles for their inventory. Well, at Mohawk Honda, they not only will give you top dollar for your trade-in, but they have a ton of vehicles on inventory for you to choose from right now. They have the largest inventory of vehicles in the capital region, and that means you can choose the one that's right for you. You know, you have all these other dealers that are talking to you about their values, but Mohawk Honda, they really focus on you. Are you a single you know, are you single? Are you married? Do you have children? They want to make sure they get the right vehicle to fit your needs and your family's needs, not to, just to get as much money out of you as possible like some other dealers. Don't feel pressured into buying something from another dealer because it's best for what they can do. Go to Mohawk Honda and get the vehicle you deserve. Their vast selection of certified pre-owned vehicles is guaranteed to fit your needs and your lifestyle, not the other dealer's values. So this summer, selection is king. And no one has more to choose from than Mohawk Honda, where, as usual, they always go out of their way to please you. And now, let's get into the episode. So, yes, this is episode six of The Space Between Your Ears, which you can read right there. I'm Brian Katie, hanging with you, as always. Uh, if you have any questions, comments that you want to drop by, my Twitter, at Brian Katie, first and last name, pretty simple. Or... You can always drop me an email if you want to go long form as well into telling your stories about your mental health journeys and the such. It's brian.katie at Godzilla Media. That's G-O-Z-I-L-L-A media.com. And this week we have uh, a local girl, a little younger than me. Uh, I always feel like I'm an old man when I get guests on. It seems like so far I get <laughs> 20s, early 30s. I'm hanging over here ready to hit 34 this August. I'm like, oh, God, I'm old. But anyways, um, so, yeah, the local girl from uh, – and I'm going to make sure I say this correctly because there's a lot of people even who live around here who may not say this right. Queeman's Hollow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see? See? If you say Coimans, I'm gonna smack you across the face next time I see I know. you. It's Coimans Hollow, uh, graduate of RCS, uh, as you know, done her travels, done her studies, and now is back in Delmar uh, with her own office doing uh, mental health counseling and therapy. Bryn Saltis, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. I'm good. Uh, so first off, let's just go back to uh, you know when you were a child. You know you're six, seven years old, um, you know, what is young Bryn, like, dreaming the big dreams of? What what, what did young Bryn want to do? And then how did that change along the way as you were going through your teenage years? Yeah, um, so young Bryn did not want to work um, or learn anything. Um, young Bryn, I didn't know the alphabet, really, like, until probably I was, like, nine, like, eight or nine, because I just my mom had me in like Montessori school <laughs> because um, she was uh, a little concerned that I would get like labeled because I was, um, she, she likes to say free spirit. I like to say it was a little, I was maybe a little like out there, you know? Um, and uh, so okay. I did not have plans to do anything other than like be, um, I, I really liked pink and um, Barbies and tutus. So that was kind of my like scope of what I was planning. Um, and Cause, and as I didn't really start playing any, like my mom, they didn't, my parents didn't really like push sports per se. Like my dad was always kind of a big, like, you know, he liked running and played football, basketball, stuff like that. But he never like, nobody pushed it on me. Um, and I think I kind of just said when I was like, I don't know, maybe eight, I was like, Hey, I want to, I want to try soccer kind of thing. It was not really like, you know, any, and my parents were like, okay, you know, cool. And, um, yeah. So then it's like, I don't know, do you know how they have those, the little, uh, oh man, the recreational leagues, like where the, the different businesses like sponsor the teams. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I started with. Um, it like down at the, actually like the RCS, like middle school, I think that's pr pretty sure it was that one. And I would, yeah, I just did that for like maybe a couple different seasons and then like got into like, I think travel and then kind of like 
it just kind of happened, kept going from there. And I mean, um, and I actually wasn't going to RCS like the district until I didn't go to high school. Um, I was uh, going to uh, Don Stewart for okay. like after the Montessori school. Um, so, and they were, I think, and then I started running while I was there also kind of just randomly. Um, and then I happened to be really good at it. So um, I kind of just kept doing it. And then, um, but yeah, I still had no career plans. <laughs> um, so two, two quick things. Number one. So I, I, the reason I understand the, the rec league thing you're mentioning is while I was a baseball, basketball kid growing up, there was one year where I was like, yeah, why not? I'll try soccer. I don't know why. I was like seven, maybe. I'm like, yeah, I'll try soccer. No big deal. And they had a league just like what you're talking about. They used um, they used the, the soccer field. Like there was a bunch of soccer fields, actually. I think they're still there. Um, behind where Albany High is. Oh, sure. But, so that that's how I get what you're talking about because they had a, a ton of teams just like you were talking about with yours. <laughs> Secondly, don't store it. So like <laughs> this is – was this before they moved when they were still yes. off this of – Yes, before, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, it was before. Yeah. Okay. But I, for those of you who don't know the history of don't store, you can go look it up. We're not going to – dice through it here but like <laughs> so basically there they um so it, it was like the entrance is is, is random we'll put it that yes. way because it let's just say you're going on 9w from albany into the glenmont area mm -hmm. so don't steward essentially once you got to <clears throat> as you're coming down the hill mm -hmm. to go to the bridge that goes over mm -hmm. um Yes. Some creek, the, the, the bridges. The, people will not understand what I'm talking about. There's mm -hmm. a random left turn right there, right before you hit that bridge. Mm -hmm. Like, it's right across from, like, the end of where the Thruway Authority stuff would be. Mm -hmm. That would that was the main road entrance from 9W into Don't Stewart. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't have known it because there was no signage. No. It's just, like, <laughs> it's just like, if you know, you know. Make right. that turn. <laughs> right. It's like an unspoken society kind of thing, but anyways, totally. um, so so you're you're playing soccer and you're going to RCS. What um, what eventually led you to your college choice you made? Because you ended up leaving the area to go to college. Yeah. What 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 helped you make that decision? Honestly, I mean, and this is why I joke with people that like you don't know what you're doing when you go to college, really, I mean, very few people, I think really do. Because like, when I, I think I told my guidance counselor, they're like, Oh, what do you want to study, Brendan? I was like, Oh, like physical therapy. And like, anybody who knows me knows that's like BS, because I would never pick that. Um, I'm not a science person, like, I probably would get angry, like knowing how that, you know, just in that kind of field. But I thought it made sense, because that's, I was like, Oh, sports. And like, that's what people who did sports do, I guess. But um, I, uh, ended up like basically my big focus in um, through a lot of um, high school ended up being getting, you know, recruited. I was on like, um, oh man, I played for Capital United um, and uh, I'm trying to think what else. And then um, like Bethlehem Premier and just kind of all those, those different clubs. And, um, you know, I, I, most of my time, uh, I didn't really spend a lot of time with other kids outside of school because I was pretty much always at some kind of soccer thing, whether it was a sh showcase tournament or, a practice or a game or some kind of clinic. Um, and that was kind of like, it got, took up a ton of my time. Um, and uh, the big focus was, especially for like all of us on the team was to get a, you know, a D, preferably a D1 or a D2 scholarship, or even just, you know, get into one of the D3 teams. Um, and um, I would never have looked at this at um, Queens and Charlotte if I hadn't um, gotten recruited for soccer because, and they, um, they offered me a, you know, it's this little like tiny D2 in the, you know, middle, uh, I guess the middle of North Carolina kind of, but, um, and so I committed there at the end of my um, uh, junior year and, um, you know, kind of just, that's where I, how I ended up there was um, between that and the academic scholarships. Um, it was cheaper for me to go to that little school in the South than it was for me to go to like a state university here. Um Weirdly, so because they took a bunch of my um, credits from high school because I did that like university and high school thing. Um, so it, that was kind of how I ended up there. Um, and it was, yeah, very funny because I was really only at that point thinking about like, where can I go to play soccer, you know? Um, and uh, 
now I can understand why my mother was so frustrated with me because I was not really thinking about the, I mean, even though I was very, um, my, I was doing, I did very well in school. I was more, I was just focused on kind of like getting out and getting to play. Um, and that's really how I ended up there. Uh, otherwise that I don't know where I would have gone, honestly. So uh, this is, this is the interesting part I found about your journey. So you end up going mm -hmm. to college Mm -hmm. And you're playing soccer and stuff, but you didn't have going there for to become a physical therapist. No, <laughs> you didn't go in there. You didn't get any kind of medical. You weren't trying to get any kind of medical degrees at all. Mm -hmm. Like nothing you would think of at first glance when you're yeah. talking about being a therapist. What did you end up going to college for? <laughs> so I um I started as a psychology major, and um I like I think I did it for maybe a semester, and then um. I ended up switching to creative writing because they had a pretty solid program there in it. And I happened, I, you know, I kind of got into taking some of the classes because I always liked writing, but I never really, you know, thought of it as much more than like something I did really, you know, was easy for me in school and that I kind of like to do in my own time. Um, and I just ended up switching to that um, major because partially because one, it was more appealing after a while, but also like I, you know, I don't know if you know a lot about the DSM, but like, you know, at that time, I think it was probably the DSM-4 that we would have used. Um, and I just remember I was taking like a, some kind of like intro, maybe it was an intro class. It was one of those like abnormal psych classes or something. And I was like looking at all the diagnoses and like diagnosing myself with like everything. And um, it just like wasn't, you know, it was a little over the top. I was already kind of like high, strong and anxious. My parents were like, Bryn, like stop, like stop, please. And so then eventually I, you know, I kind of got to know more people in the writing program and figured at first I was going to try a double major. And then I was like, oh, well, maybe this will, will be my concentration and then I can have a minor in psychology or something. So um, that is kind of how that happened. And then, like, I just kept going with that um, program. And then I was sort of thinking that I would go on to do something writing related, Um uh, mostly because, I mean, I had a kind of difficult uh, freshman year. Like I had my own mental health stuff that kind of, I think, popped up being, um, you know, stuff at home wasn't always the easiest. And um, I think uh, going to college and um, being far away and having kind of like other stressors pop up, like my soccer coach wasn't that, um, she kind of ended up not being that great. Um, as a person to me, she, it was, um, you know, the being out there by myself was tough. I think I was probably the only one of the only kids whose parents couldn't like afford to come down and like see my games. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, it ended up kind of like being a situation where I was really not doing well. And um, I ended up, um, you know, having to, which I'm actually fine talking about mostly because I do talk about it sometimes with clients, but um, I ended up in the hospital and everything um, down, you know, down in like this uh, totally, uh, you know, unfamiliar place uh, very early on. And um, once I got out of that, I kind of got connected with um, the therapist they happened to have at the college who thankfully was a really great fit. And um, sh I met with her for the whole time I was there. Um, and um, that probably had a huge impact on why I ever would have thought of this doing, I granted at that time, I did not think of like getting into this at all. Um, I was still focusing on like the writing stuff and kind of, you know, and by then I think I'd track season had come up and I'd made a lot of um, good, good friends through that. And, um, but it was sort of like, I almost needed to step away, I think from the um, psychology stuff because of like what had happened. And um, it, you know, that was tough. I think, um, you know, I always joke that the only reasons I probably got through college were for because of our athletic trainer and the, um, the uh, therapist in the uh, counseling center. <laughs> mm. um, but, uh, but yeah, it was really hard. And there were, you know, and I, I remember I, I, my sophomore year, I got a pretty severe knee injury that put me out for the season and I had to get um, a surgery like that year. And then I had to get another one after I finished um, school. And, um, but I was, that was really hard too. just like the, I didn't realize how much I relied on like running as a, you know, and just physical stuff as my outlet. And I, that was a really, really awful time also. So it was kind of just like a succession of um, different things that were, um, all happened at once that kind of were um, difficult at the time, but obviously useful in the present. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a tough experience. And between that and the culture shock, I mean, it's 
very different um, down there, regardless of what people I think would assume. But, um, uh, but yeah, so it, that's kind of like where that happened. And then I had thought like, oh, you know, I what's because I graduated here early because I won save money and I was able to. Um, so then I sort of said, okay, um, what, you know, what's next? So I went on to do an MFA program in poetry. Um, and then it was kind of during that where like I figured out that I might want to do something more related to like counseling, but mostly cause I figured out that I could do like a counseling related degree and, um, get a certification without having to go do like a full on PhD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and, you know, I think the combo of like, you know, me using writing as probably an outlet to work through a lot of stuff combined with watching other people do it made me think like, oh, it'd be cool to use this as if this were used as like a therapy thing. And then, um, you know, I, I think then kind of coming full circle to all the challenges I'd always had in terms of like, um, you know, just general anxiety and um, managing my emotions um in terms of like, you know, in an, I guess a general sense, but also when it came to sports, especially track, like I was, um, it was really bad. And like, I'm sure people wouldn't know that because I seemed fine. <laughs> um, but um, at home, it was like really bad. I was always really, um, I would have like panic attacks and stuff. But like at that time, we didn't talk about it like we do now. Mm. Uh, and so I'm always really thrilled when I have kids coming in who are like, you know, 15, 16, that like are seeking out therapy because of stuff they're experiencing. And whether it's day-to-day stuff or sports. Um, and because like at when I was that age, we were, I mean, I literally remember us being like, oh, you just have to get over it or like, it'll be fine. You know, you're fine. And um, that was, you know, so it's uh, kind of, I guess that's kind of how it all transpired. It was um, weird. It's weird to look at it, but it's uh, kind of, I guess, makes sense in a more, a bigger sense. If that helps answer the question. So, uh, quick sidebar for a second. I so as I was going through the beginning of fixing my mental health issues, um, which was about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the things I did while I was going through my intake uh, intensive outpatient mm-hmm. uh, therapy with Four Winds up in mm-hmm. Saratoga. Sure. Um, Throughout the process, as I'm rethinking everything from the past and going through all this, the sessions, I started outlining different stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have, I think I have the sheet right here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I have literally have a full front and back sheet uh, outlined of, at the time, what I thought would be a book. Mm-hmm. So, so now I have a writer. You're the first person I'm going to call if I need a ghostwriter or somebody to proofread what I write down the road. That's number one. Um, but let's go back to because you were mentioning about how you were self-diagnosing yourself originally when you were first in college. Yeah. So before you started learning more about psychology and mm. going through that whole process, I personally was one of just – bury, 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 and just walk away and thinking, mm. it'll clean itself up. I don't need mm. to think about that. It's all good. No big deal. Yeah. And then, eventually, you know, it all, at once, poof, yeah. it explodes. Is, yeah. it, is that kind of what you had done as you were growing up in the area before yeah. you started doing that? I think t- to some degree, like, my family was um, very... <laughs> very talk like talked a lot like we talked um it was kind of like normal to have like random analytical conversations that probably didn't need to happen but we'd have them anyway and um i think probably if and but i think me looking back now um a lot of times what i've recognized is that there was a lot of uh stuff that i would now point out to somebody as an anxiety thing or as like somebody doing a lot of catastrophic thinking that we were treating as like normal you know like my, that's how my family was operating we were kind of like you know, feeding off of each other, like ruminating, like when bad things happened, it would like be, it, it, especially if like one particularly bad thing happened, that would like set the stage for more like, you know, panic. It's like, it was a very like high strung kind of environment combined with like a lot of stress going on in general. And I think what I probably did honestly was I, my big outlets were like, I did journal, I, you know, wrote a lot, I journaled a lot and kind of like, um, and I was pretty depressed for a lot of high school, but I didn't, um, 
you know, it's not the kind of thing I would tell people. It's uh, And I kind of just, um, I think, yeah, kept it in and sort of like tried to ignore it sort of thing or like, um, and I would be able to do okay with that, like at school, but it was when I'd come home. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think it was a lot of, uh, you know, this throwing myself into the sports too. I think that was a huge um, distraction and outlet. Um, it was, you know, the kind of thing where it definitely was building up, you know, like I had like a mini, like, I think I'd call it like disordered eating versus eating disorder, you know, at the kind of like my senior year. And then it's like, I think things were, on a, it was almost like, you know, I think it was kind of on a tightrope. And then it's like, I get to school and it's almost like the perfect kind of um, environment for things to really just, you know, it's like things weren't really, I wasn't really in a good place. I think it's just, it was okay. And, you know, it just took one more like n negative experience to kind of like blow it up. Um, so that's kind of what I, I would say. It's like a version of that, even though like um, it was, yeah, it was uh, interesting because it was, uh, I think it was, yeah, kind of over time, it was like different things built up, but then a lot of, um, you know, my parents are anxious people. And um, it's unfortunately when parents are anxious and when stuff happens, it's like kids pick up on it and it's like everything, you know, you absorb everything. And I think it was kind of that. And then it just sort of was an, you know, catalyst in at school like that. So you eventually come home after mm -hmm. you get your, your bachelor's mm -hmm. and you're eventually going to work on, if I have this, timeline correct mm -hmm. you're eventually working on a master's yes. in creative writing mm -hmm. when along the road after your home did you feel like you had a feeling you're going to go into mental health counseling no. when you were still home or you were still on that um, idea of creative writing was going to be the I thing think it was like the creative writing thing and like you know it was um and it was it was one of those things where it's like, okay, like, what do you, do you go and teach? Do you get into editing? Do you, uh -huh. um, and you know, the, a lot of times with, especially like writing, you kind of have to go like be willing to move to the places where they do that specifically, even if it's like, you know, we have all the remote stuff now, but um, you know, it's like, do I want to move to New York city? Not really. You know, do I, this, and the program I was doing was like low residency. So I didn't have to be there all the time, which was well, cool, but also very affordable in comparison. Um, so I would only go to um, Cambridge or, you know, Boston area like twice a year um, uh, for the, the residency period of like, I think it was two weeks or something. Um, and then I was like, you know, working, I think I was at, I worked like, I was working retail and then at a bank during that time. But um, uh, it, yeah, it was like, I think it, it wasn't honestly probably till this, my, probably the second year of the program towards the like middle, you know, like after the, the what would have been the, you know, the fall semester where I really started like you know, thinking about it and then kind of doing more research. Um, cause then it was in that second, um, that spring, the springtime that I started sort of actively, um, applying and, um, getting into it and really like being able you know, visualizing it. Um, I think differently than I had, but, um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, I think, cause I still had stuff to work through when I got home. It was, you know, I was, I mean, I was a nightmare. I don't know how my parents like really, like, <laughs> I would not have wanted to have me in the house, but, um, I was like so grumpy. I like, I'm pretty sure at the time I like took myself off of whatever medication I was taking. And like my, I said that to my mom recently, she's like, that's what was wrong with you. Wow. Okay. That explains things. And I'm like, yeah, isn't that great? You know, great decisions by um, 20 year old Bren. But, um, I, uh, <laughs> but, uh, the, but yeah, you know, so I was, I did not have a great, like first, that first year was tough and, um, it, was it took like yeah it was kind of like I, it's funny when people ask me because I'm like yeah it's like I just kind of like I did a lot of thinking and a lot of like examining and a lot of like um you know trying to think about what was the right next thing and it um yeah that was it felt like a very long time I think even though it was like a very short amount of time um in hindsight but yeah that's it kind of was I think at the end of that once I started feeling like a little bit better about different things it uh I started kind of going, okay, like, what is this something, this would be kind of interesting or kind of cool. Like, could I do this, you know? So now we take the left-hand turn away from creative writing, not completely, but That's okay. as far as educationally, you, you take the left-hand turn, yeah. getting, uh, getting certified and getting a, a degree through there as well for your psychology. Yeah. And then 
so then the so then the question becomes obviously how do you want to apply the trade? Yeah, totally. What uh, what what ultimately decided for you to stay here in the capital region instead of looking to uh, to apply your trade elsewhere? Sure. So when I did my when I went to Suffolk um, at the time, uh, my yeah we were engaged. So my husband and I had just gotten engaged um, before I this I started uh, that program, and so um, we. I had to move. So we, um, up and he came with me, we moved to Boston, um, that summer. Uh, and then I started the program and he, uh, he's does, he's an architectural designer. Um, so he went and found a job at a small like firm outside of, um, outside of Boston. And then, um, I was, yeah, so I was, we were there for like you know, almost four years. And then um, when I finished or when I was about to finish, um, we were kind of, you know, we were at that point I was working, you know, I was, I think I, I was at like a, like a methadone clinic um, in the uh, kind of like the South side of um, the city. And um, he, my husband was still at the same uh, place and uh, it kind of got to where we were like, Oh, you know, this is cool. Like, um, but we're, you know, in our like, getting to our later twenties or, you know, mid twenties or whatever. And like, um, it, we're making okay money, but we can't really afford to do a lot. Cause like, you know, it's like you basically pay for your apartment and your food. Um, so we, we were just like, you know, talking about like different, you know, he was kind of like wanting to look at other job opportunities and, um, you know, we were, we'd been going home, you know, we'd come home to visit quite a bit and we were like, geez, you know, maybe we should think about like moving home. And so he, um, Applied, he really wanted to work at um, this one firm and uh, he applied and he ended up getting the job. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess we are moving now. So then we, and I had to figure out where I was going to get my, my license. So, um, because I could have gotten it, you know, in Massachusetts, but I really had to be like, okay, like, you know, do I go to, what do I do? And so then we were like, okay, well, we're getting our licenses because in, um, you know, New York. So uh, we, that's kind of why, how, when we moved and then that was, um, sort of why we ended up back and, um, you know, for, it's kind of nice to be close to family too, just because, um, both our families weirdly live like within a, what, five to 10 minute drive from, from us. So, um, makes it easy, but yeah, that's kind of how we, um, I think ended up back here and, and it's, there's a need. I mean, I think it was sort of like, um, nice cause it's, you know, and being from here and like kind of having, you know, grown up here and everything and um, having a sense of kind of the landscape, it, um, it was helpful for, I don't know, find, feeling like I could establish a niche for myself. Mm. <clears throat> so, no, I, I, I had this, I had a feeling that, like, looking back now, of like 15 years now, mm-hmm. there's no way, like, so my all right. Let me put it this way: my mother, there's so three kids. Mm. If she had a rank in order, who was going to go the furthest away to stay closest to home? Mm-hmm. I was going to be either furthest away or in the middle. Oh, because I had I had you know I had weird dreams when I was sixteen, seventeen, and applying to colleges and everything. And what I ended up doing. I end up going to Siena 10 minutes from my house. <laughs> so, and uh, my sister ends up eventually living in San Diego and then moving oh. back to Albany. So, like, <laughs> so I was clearly not the furthest <laughs> away from home. Um, right. It's it's just things change. Motivations totally. change. Um, so, so now you've been practicing for like four or five years, roughly. Yeah, like five years now. Yeah. So, obviously, the, the big thing that I'd be the worst interview ever if I don't bring up the pandemic, like Mm -hmm. obviously the best form of therapy typically is in-person face-to-face. So talk us through it. Like a pandemic, Mm -hmm. obviously you're going from in-person face-to-face visits in an office setting to telehealth essentially. Oh yeah. Talk about the the difference that was, and mm-hmm. like obviously everybody's trying to figure out the right technology to use if they're trying to I do face to face. So just kind of walk us through that that and 
the struggles you might have encountered, but also mm. again, maybe what kind of uh, what kind of good things came out of it? You think? Mm. Oh yeah, no, I mean it was at first it was really stressful because it was not so much just the technology piece and the um, the distance stuff, but it was like the onslaught of referrals. Mm. Um, it was like I was getting so many people um, that I couldn't like. I, I was like working not like nonstop. It was nuts. And um, I just, it was like impossible to keep up with. And um, even now I'm still having trouble. I'm, I still have a wait list. I can't like, it's, you know, they're just, there's constant need and constant um, uh, just outreach. And, um, but yeah, that, I think that was one of the biggest, most over overwhelming things. And then, um, and then I think too, like it was, what was it was positive in the way that like suddenly everybody's like oh god like mental health is a thing like maybe we should get help you know um yeah I was like oh really welcome to my world you know but um it but it was like very I think the one of the biggest challenges and still it can be a big challenge is um but thankfully it's better obviously because the pandemic has you know gotten to a different mm -hmm. spot but at that time um one of the scariest things was when you had clients or people you know whoever coming to you and saying like you know basically they were not safe, you know, they were kind of, um, whether it was like they were, um, not in a great situation or they were, you know, suicidal. And they're like, I remember being very worried about a collection of people because they were like coming and needing help, but really they were the kind of candidates that would be better off in person because they were such high need. And I was mm -hmm. like at a distance, um, and wouldn't be able to like, you know, no matter how many safety plans I maybe did with them, it wouldn't, I still wasn't geographically uh, in a place where I could get to them easily or be easily accessible. And um, that was probably one of the freakiest things is just like the, you know, the high need, the, mm -hmm. the potential instability and the fact that like there wasn't, they didn't really have options because no, nobody was in person really, except for like what a hospital. And even then that was like not doable given all the people who were there for the actual like you know, pandemic illness itself. And, um, it, that I think was, that was tough. The, I think one really cool thing that did come out of it is I've, I've been able to maintain clients in like different parts of the state, um, that, you know, I wouldn't have otherwise, uh, because it, you know, wouldn't even have been something we would have thought about, but, um, so that's been nice. Um, it's, uh, finding the right technology has been um, tough because some things are HIPAA approved and some are not. Um, there are even certain payment types that are HIPAA approved or ways to pay and that are HIPAA approved and others that are not. So um, I think that's all been um, kind of just a learning curve, but um, yeah, it's, it's been a mixed, a mixed bag, but I think generally pretty positive. Um, but yeah, it was uh, really, and, just trying to do things like assess people, you know, like, especially I had people who only wanted to do phone and, um, you know, I, I can't see them. So I'm like going by their voice inflection, but someone could say like, I'm great. And they're not doing okay at all, but I can't, you know, uh, so that, and then the state line stuff, I think licensing limitations was a big one just when people, because people don't realize that if you, a lot of people don't, at least is that if I'm licensed in New York state and I'm not licensed in like, Vermont, that they decide to go hang out in Vermont, I can't necessarily counsel them if they're physically in Vermont, even if they're a New York state resident. Right. Uh, and that I found that happening a lot because people, you know, the pandemic people are like moving, they're like, you know, deciding like, I'm going to leave here and go here. And so I had to have a lot of conversations with people like, Hey, I'm hate to be, I hate this because one that's like kind of dangerous too, because then they don't have a provider, but um, uh, you, you know, if you're going to move here, you got to, figure something else out because I can't legally do this, but it's, um, so that's a whole other thing that I think they're still trying to figure out in terms of like the government and, um, telehealth, but yeah. So it's, it's been kind of a bunch of different things, I would say, um, uh, good, good and bad. Yeah. I think at this point it's nice to be back in person, but, um, but yeah. Well, you're listening to The Space Between Your Ears, presented by Godzilla Media and sponsored by our friends at Mohawk Honda, as well as The Healing Meals, Inc. I'm your host, Brian Katie, and, of course, joined by our guest this week, Bryn Saltis. And so, one of the goals of this show, when I started this about a month and a half ago, wasn't just to tell my own mental health journey and my own story. 
but also because I feel like even in 2021, we're still at this point where mental health as a topic is still supremely taboo. Mm -hmm. And like even before I started properly addressing my own issues, mm -hmm. I felt like it made zero sense for it to be such a taboo thing to discuss. Do you think at all with, I mean, it seems like the pandemic might have helped a little bit, but do you just think bit. in general as, oh, let's just say over the last five years, do you feel mm -hmm. like things have started to shift and change Mm -hmm. Aside from the pandemic, um, and what kind of work do you think still needs to be done, if anything, aside from just people allowing themselves to be more open about it? Hmm. Oh, I think, I mean, one of the biggest things that has stuck out to me still is that um, it, just the like, oh, the lack, like the lack of normalizing it. It's um, just in general and kind of making things available in places where they weren't like, I think one of the the most significant things I still think about is how, you know, when I was in school and we had like this really extensive, like athletic training department, we had all these like things available to help us physically, but like we had nothing at all that was integrated to help the us on a mental health level. And I don't even mean like the, the I know people are big right now on the, you know, mental, you know, the, what do they call it? Um, like mental performance and like, you know, how to like basically like do visualizing in terms of, uh, oh, you know, performing at your best, but more the, right. the, that side of it that doesn't get addressed really ever where it's like, you know, people struggling, like, you know, like, um, because of a variety of things, whether it's an injury, whether it's just like their mental health is kind of like not okay. And nobody's talking about it. I mean, even today I had a gymnast in here and she's saying to me, like, I totally lost my sense of self when I stopped doing competitive gymnastics. And um, it's like, but, you know, we're like when I've heard that with kids when they get injured and they like, but we didn't have that. Like we didn't have anybody checking in with us. We didn't have we I mean, you know, their abusive language was or kind of even like tactics towards um, athletes was almost a norm, you know, and it's I don't know that it was intentional as much as it was a part of the culture. And um, it's, I think, a part of the culture a lot of times. And it's, uh, you know, there's no there's a lot of like it's still treated as like these people, this person, you know, because they're talking about their mental health, oh, they're sick, or that's like, it's it's like, for some reason, it's on this other yeah. level, and I um, run into it a lot, because I'm like, well, you know, you take a medicine for your blood pressure, what's the, you know, but what's the main, the difference between taking something for your anxiety, you know, say, when people are hesitant about that, but I do think there needs to be more, like, integrating and normalizing, but, um, and treating it you know like we treat i don't know anything you know like where you go to the doctor and they do your physical mm -hmm. yeah i mean and specifically getting back to the athletic side of it as mm -hmm. you were just mentioning i just unless you're in it i feel like there's a lot of people um especially if they don't have kids yeah like a lot of people just don't realize how not just physically but mentally consuming yeah. trying to pursue any kind of goal in athletics really is like, oh, God, like yeah. imagine when you were playing soccer you know you had your 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 school season you had clubs that you played for like the <laughs> amount of like aau for, for yeah. basketball uh travel teams for baseball and soccer like you mentioned like <laughs> it, it's the last like 20 years the explosion of club sports and, and aau I sports know. it's just it's to Insane. a point where sports are year round now, and oh, God, yeah. and even if you're not playing actively on a team, you're doing weight training, you're doing mm -hmm. other other kinds of training, uh, like just cardio training, just running. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it it's it's all consuming. And then if you get to college, <laughs> college, forget about it because yeah. you're trying to balance 15, 18 credits a semester. Mm -hmm. you're, you're training in season playing games in season off season mm -hmm. you're doing usually weight and cardio training still yeah. it, it's crazy it's it crazy it, it's a wonder you don't hear more stories about um you know just 
people having breakdowns. I know. Uh, well, and it's, it's just, it's just, it just boggles the mind a little bit. Oh no. I mean, well, I, I, did you remember the Madison Holleran story, the kid who was at um, uh, Penn or University of Pennsylvania um, mm-hmm. back when, I mean, I remember when that story came out, I was like, I remember calling my mom. I was like, mom, this was me. Like, this is crazy. You know, like this is, and it was the, you know, and I just remember being like this and the, I mean, I remember reading the book and I was like, you know, this is so how it happens. It's like, there are these kids and they do happen. These, you know, these, um, these breakdowns and these like, um, significant events, but nobody talks about them because I don't know why, I guess we decided we don't have to, instead we'll talk about something else that's, you know, easier or better or whatever. But, um, it's, it's really, really, and a lot of times there isn't like a, you know, everybody thinks there's going to be like a paper trail or something or something that shows all these signs. But like, you know, the perfect, she's a perfect example because literally there was nothing like there. She was as far as everyone could see, like this talented, like, okay, kid. But in reality, she's like not doing okay. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, and that's, it, it's, it happens a lot, but nobody, it's just not talked about, which I think is really sad. Um, and that's what I would hope to kind of help, yeah. you know, prevent but it's it yeah it's a its own epidemic i think and like on 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 top of athletes i mean even just normal everyday kids and teenagers because because of bullying the ability to bully at schools Uh, is so bad it's it's so much i hate to say it but it's so much easier these days than say 25 years ago because Internet, social media, oh God, like yeah. TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Everything. Snapchat, like it, it's it's insane, and, and and people wonder why, you know, uh, like when you do hear the occasional story of, you know, a kid, and I, I hate to go this route, but like a, a teenager turning up dead somewhere, yeah. and there's they just nobody knows why, nobody knows why. It's like, right? Well, think a little deeper. You can probably Seriously. figure it out if you really sit down and think about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. I mean, I have kids, I literally have kids all the time that I work with where they're, it, the, the bullying that they're get that they are like, you know, withstanding is so much different and so much more like, um, oh, insidious. It's like it, they're, because it is so accessible like that. I mean, it's like they're, and it's awful and they can't get away from it. And like they, they don't, and it's, and one thing I see a lot of them, especially the kids that are like in the like 17 to like 20 range, you know, they're like struggling with like, do I cut myself off from like all social media and like not basically talk to anybody or do I like stay on it and kind of like suffer through it? And it's just like, it's awful. I mean, it's like, um, and they won't, and the kids don't talk about it necessarily like uh, without prompting, you know, it's like, you kind of have to like, I mean, I'm always like even surprised when I'm surprised that like so-and-so told me like, yeah, this, this happened. And like, I'm just like, Oh wow. Okay. And that was on Snapchat or something. It's like, totally um it is way too easy and if you do talk about it you're co- you're considered like you a might snitch. get considered well not that if you if you talk mm-hmm. about your own you know at that age you could talk about your own mental health and things you're thinking mm-hmm. about or or whatever you know you might be just yeah you might just be looked at as the weird one and then you I get know. more isolated because now you feel like you can't trust that person and oh it's yeah just, it's it's a catch 22 in a way. Like it is, it's, it's, it's the worst thing ever. Oh, it really is. No, I always, I feel, I always feel um, very um, sometimes helpless when it's like, you know, with some of these kids, because it is like, you know, like, Oh, well, I don't want to, and I'm like, did you, have you told so-and-so about this? Well, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that because, you know, and then there's some reason like that, you know, or like, or because, you know, I think one kid, one time she's like, I said, did you tell, cause I think she, something crazy happened where she got like injured by a fellow teammate, like on purpose in a practice. But like she, I said, well, did you say something to anybody? Not like whether mom or whoever. And she's like, no, I don't want to be a snitch or, um, or no, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna deal with it or whatever. And I was kind of like, okay, but it was, you know, you just feel really terrible. Cause it's like, you know, all over the place. Now, look, now, particularly with uh, your practice, it sounds like you deal with a lot of adolescents, young adults. Mm-hmm. What, when it comes to your, your particular practice and the patients you deal with, is there a certain method or mm-hmm. methods you like to use, preferred, when you're, when you're going through uh, treating your patients? Yeah, I mean, 
I tend to kind of take the like I borrow from a, a bunch of different perspectives, uh, mm -hmm. perspective maybe because I mean one usually that's a little bit better, but also it it really depends on what the person's coming in with. Um, I think you know like cognitive behavioral therapy one insurances love it. It's super billable. You can be like CBT this and they're like, yay, you know, woohoo, here's your, you know, reimbursement. But um, it, there is a lot of good um, that comes out of like some of the, oh, the, like, you know, kind of behavioral stuff is just very, I find that to be very helpful um, just for giving people like, you know, different ways of thinking about things, um, techniques that they can actually use that are useful. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes dialectical behavior therapy, which is literally just CBT in a different, you know, different bucket or whatever, mm -hmm. just geared towards teenagers um, and sometimes and often like personality disorders. But um, uh, sometimes that will be helpful. But it's, you know, I, I like to kind of let the I think the way I always put it to um, clients is that it's, you know, I'm there to be like a, you know, somewhat of a guide, but they're there to kind of, you know, they're leading and it's really, you know, the focus is what they want to, whether they want to work on something or they need to. And um, it's, you know, often a combo of like, you know, are we working on a skill today that might be more, you know, cognitive behavioral in nature? Are we going to do more of like a kind of, you know, psychodynamic thing where we look into something and kind of um, explore maybe some of the underlying stuff that we didn't acknowledge before? So I think, um, you know, I like to keep it conversational and like approachable. I think one of my big rules is that I don't, I'm never going to make someone sit there in silence and like just stare at them. Cause I think that's really creepy. Um, and I can't believe how many therapists do that. It, according to all the clients I've worked with, they're like, yeah, so-and-so just stared at me. I'm like, that's terrifying. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so a lot of borrowing, I would say of different things that are, might be useful um, depending. And sometimes art, I'll do journal therapy sometimes with people if they're really, um, you know, interested in it, it tends to be helpful, but you know, I get some resistance. So I think that's the first time I've ever heard of somebody saying that a therapist just stared at them. It's really weird. They, yeah, I've heard a couple where they like, didn't get any feedback, you know, they would just, the person would kind of just, and granted that is like, there, there is a style, you know, it's, um, I think honestly, sometimes I think of it as an older one, um, not always, but I, I've, you know, it's, it's more like psycho and like, you know, the old psychoanalysis, like Freud stuff to like, right. kind of like the therapist not really say a lot or do a lot, but um, like the old school stuff you see where basically the person is just asking questions and taking notes while you're laying on a couch, basically. Yeah. And that's, I don't really, you know, I, I don't really like to do that. I really preferred it to be more, um, you know, dynamic and conversational and like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm not going to like, <laughs> I will encourage them to talk, but I'm not going to be like, okay, I'm going to sit here until you say stuff, you know? Right. Cause I can get a little weird. Just slightly. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because you just, you just mentioned, you just gave me a good thought process there. Mm -hmm. with, uh, um, you know, just talking things out because I find myself once in a great while when I have my own uh, appointments, I have to remind myself, Granted, you 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 have, to, you have to think of you and your therapist as like dance partners, mm -hmm. but there's only so much they're going to be able to do. You have to take the lead, right? Like they can ask you all the questions they want, but if you're not giving answers to help further the conversation to get closer to solutions for your problems, mm -hmm. then they're not going to be able to do anything for you. Right. <laughs> so it's like like I think people that that's like the visual they need to take is yes. all right. We're on this dance floor. We need to, we, you know, I can either dance around the, lead you to dance around my problems or we can dance into the problems. Exactly. That's all about how you take the lead. Right. Oh, totally. No, I mean, it's like, I think um, I've had people come in thinking it's like magic, you know, like, I don't really know how this works. What happens? And I'm like, well, you don't just walk in the room and leave because somebody like, you know, did something amazing. I mean, honestly, I say to people, sometimes they're going to leave and not feel very good. And that's like actually a part of it. Um and sometimes you'll get mad at me. I mean, I definitely piss people off at least like once a week. It's fine. You know, I'm like, it, whatever. I, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's actually kind of good. Cause that's like kind of something, you know, like, Oh good. I got to you, but not like, cause I'm vindictive more just because it's like, Oh cool. We're getting somewhere. But um, they, it's, you want a reaction. Yeah. It doesn't matter what yeah. the reaction is. As long as you react then okay, I'm doing my job. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. And it doesn't mean like, I totally get like, I especially get nervous with like family sessions. Like I, I look fine on the outside, but inside I'm like, oh my God, is this going? Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, no, it is very much like you, you have to want to do the work. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, if you don't want, if you don't want it, you know, even if you think you might want it, that's better than not having any investment at all. And it's interesting that you mentioned the getting reaction because like, um, so this is, like I mentioned, this is the sixth episode I'm doing and, Mm -hmm. um, three of them were basically me telling parts of my own journey. And mm-hmm. I remember the the one episode I did, like I've I felt a certain way coming out of all three of those specific episodes, mm-hmm. but there was one specifically I did two weeks ago. And I, I during, while I'm doing the show, I feel myself visibly like changing expressions mm-hmm. and the like emotions from here just completely coming out mm-hmm. and like I, and the, the the thing was as soon as i stopped recording and i gathered myself from it i'm like that was the best show i've done yet mm-hmm. because if if even if you're just talking through things with yourself mm-hmm. you gotta bring it out of you it's kind yeah, of like exactly. It's kind of like, and I don't know if this is going to be a, a foreign thing that I'm bringing up here, but um, he's passed away since. But uh, former basketball coach Jim Valvano, hmm. he, he talked about like you should you should drive yourself to emotions every hmm. day. Like you should, like you, I think it was you, you should laugh, you should cry, and there was one other thing he said. But like, if you can't bring yourself to emote at certain points during the yeah. day, you're not really allowing yourself to live. Yeah. Seriously. Um, so you've with your approach, like, cause I know that you, you do focus with, um, with like sports performance and, and athletics and sports psychology in general. Hmm. What, what do you feel like are the signs between your, you know, the practice you've been doing as well as even just going through your own journey yourself? Hmm. What warning signs do you feel like you could tip parents off to when, like, Mm. even if the child's not talking to them, are there certain warning signs you feel like parents could look out for as far as, you know, hints that maybe something's going on that's not being brought up? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think behavior tends to speak pretty um, significantly, like even just simple stuff like, you know, a kid's not sleeping. I mean, that's like a classic one, like the kid. And even if it's not that they say that directly just you notice they're not sleeping or they or even just something seems you know sometimes usually parents with their own kids have a pretty good sense of like how you know demeanors but even if like their you know their personality changes significantly or or notably you know something seems off I think that's usually a huge telltale like someone who's very boisterous and talkative suddenly is a little more withdrawn and reserved um or even or even the opposite someone who's typically kind of shy and quiet is suddenly talking like, you know, I mean, and getting, you know, being a little bit over excited in ways that are a little bit kind of out of character. I mean, I think those are big ones. Um, I think even like paying attention, honestly, um, you know, we're so driven, uh, especially in our country and our culture to, uh, you know, have kids are supposed to do everything, you know, and like do, you know, do all the sports, do all the clubs, do all the activities, you know, do all the classes, whatever. And um, I think actually like paying, like, checking in and paying attention before it seems, feels like you need to is big. Um, I think there's a lot of like, you know, one thing that um, I've seen happen over and over again is just, you know, someone is has so much going on and it seems fine because nothing has happened. But at the same time, if you look, kind of like ask different questions and really look at it, it it's not really that fine because there's so much that the child say is doing that is like, you know, they're, they're under so much pressure, you know, it's like looking at mm-hmm. like checking in, like, are they enjoying what they're doing? You know, I see so many times kids scheduled to do things that they don't even really want to be doing um, because of whatever reason. Um, and, you know, being, but really like, you know, and if you know your kid, like paying attention to those differences um, and kind of those things that, you know, even if we have like a gut feeling that something seems off, I think sometimes that's, you know, we discount gut um I think there was a whole article on it actually in like psychology today, but like just gut um, feelings about things can be really significant. Um, but I think some of those are really big ones, just like, you know, behavioral changes, changes that you, you know, actually see physically. Um, and even just like kind of pre- getting, checking in preventatively. Um, 
even when it seems like you don't necessarily need to granted like there's a difference between that and becoming a helicopter parent but like you know i would say erring on that side of kind of like i don't know talking trying to talk more one of the saving graces i feel like we've witnessed the last few years is that you have pro athletes like Dak Prescott, Kevin Love, mm -hmm. Simone Biles just this week, mm -hmm. Naomi yeah. Osaka. They're all mm -hmm. being a lot more vocal and open yes. about mm -hmm. mental health issues and how it's impacting yeah. their lives, not just their athletic performance, but their lives in general. Absolutely. How much do you feel like, like potentially down the road as more athletes are more open about mm -hmm. that? How much, how much of a positive impact do you think that could be, you know, for, you know, really people of all ages, not just, oh, not yeah. just kids. No, I think it could be huge because like one thing that's, I mean, even just like recently, one of the biggest things I've noticed is like, I have kids, I have parents coming to me saying like, Hey, my, my 14 year old found you online. Like she wants to come in and talk to you. I mean, they're, they're like more, uh, they're more, uh, or, you know, uh, likely to advocate for themselves. I think that's honestly one thing that it will do. It'll, it won't. And I think it would make people less like uh, less afraid to like acknowledge that they're dealing with that, you know, it's um, or less afraid to kind of like note that that might be something that's impacting them and maybe actually seek help sooner rather than let it go to the point that it does become a big blow up. You know, I think it actually, you know, um, could have a really positive impact in the long run because it's so many, I mean, it's crazy how much people struggle with things that nobody, you don't know because they don't talk about it. Um, and just having some of that stuff vocalized, especially by people that, you know, um, we, you know, we would all, especially kids would look up to, to that in that way. It's, um, you know, it's a big deal. It, it's sort of like, oh, okay, I'm not, uh, it's, I'm not, it's not me. You know, I'm not the only one who feels like this. It's, it, it's actually very like a human thing that someone that I, you know, kind of idolize actually deals with too. Last thing quick before I let you go. Um, if there's anybody out there watching on YouTube or listening on wherever they're listening to their podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever, um, if there's somebody out there potentially considering um, getting involved in mental health, but going into psychology, what advice would do you think would be best served for you know those teenagers or you know? high school age kids that are that are thinking about potentially looking at this, doing something like that like the career path yeah yeah no i think um it's you know awesome if they are looking one like that's really great i think there we need well we need we do need honestly like can't like truthfully we need more providers there just are not mm -hmm. enough it's like crazy how um i it's yeah it's awful but that's that's one thing we need more people but um but also i think you know there's also this side of it where, uh, you know, if you really, um, if you kind of have that draw to help people in that way, like it's, I think, cool to explore, but also like there's, I think there's that line where um, don't, you don't necessarily have to be a therapist. You know, I think that's another thing that's pretty big. Like, um, like my brother was always very big on helping people and that idea, but he is like totally not my personality. He's very like, uh, we're, we get along, but he's like, you know, very like black and white. He's very analytical. Like uh, mm -hmm. it's just very different. And so he actually had thought about becoming a mental health counselor. And finally he like really looked at like the stuff I was doing and he's, he's just like, I can't do things like that. I can't do what Bryn does, but it doesn't mean that he can't still do something that is related to the field, maybe in more of a like, you know, an data analytics kind of capacity where he might be doing more like research or something. But I think um, that is, you know, there, and there are a lot of ways you can be in the field. I think that's another thing too. It's, um, you know, like look at all the options and uh, sort of, and think about yourself and like what feels, um, not just like what it would match up with your personality and kind of your, uh, how you, you think and how you, um, you maybe act, but also uh, what is feasible, um, in terms of like you as a person, because I think, you know, it's one thing that is really big and important is like being able to set your own, you know, healthy boundaries and, and also being able to know where your limits are, mm -hmm. you know, like, you, you know, as much as it's important to help you also, it's, you can't help everybody and that's okay to acknowledge too, you know, there's, it's finding kind of your, your lane in it all. And 
that's and doing, you know, even being a part of it in any way is a big deal. Um, I think sometimes being able to like not put too much pressure on oneself to um, be everything. That's always like kind of, I think if you're going into a helping profession is uh, really important to uh, acknowledge. Well, Bryn, I have to say, uh, it was a great conversation that we had today. I really do appreciate you coming on. Um, obviously, you mentioned that you know things are extremely busy and you're, you're you have a wait list right now. But if anybody mm -hmm. did want to reach out to you, maybe read up more on on what you do, mm -hmm. is there any way they can get a hold of you or follow up? Oh, totally. I mean, honestly, I don't know that a lot of people have my name, so if you just Google me, I usually come up. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, you can, I mean, I have a website, you can like, uh, reach out to me through there. Email tends to be best cause I can be quicker with it. Um, but yeah, it's literally just my name, Bryn.Saltus at outlook.com. Um, or then my website is literally BrynSaltusLMHC.com. Um, but those are some good ways. And I think on psychology today too, but you know, that one's more cumbersome. So it's really, you know, whatever, but yeah, no, it's very Googleable. That's what I tell people. Cause it literally. Yeah, not gonna lie. Psychology today is how I found you, and yeah. then I your website, and then that's how this came about. How so. this happened? So yeah, yeah. there. It's very it, yeah. You Google. It's it's gonna happen either way. It's like you just find it, and there it is. So yeah. <laughs> and if you're watching the YouTube video, I will be putting uh, the website link in the description box down below. So make sure you check that out. Uh, that being said, uh, this has been the space between your ears. Bryn, thank you very much. And uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll catch up down the road. Yeah, sounds great.